Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got a big game to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 439. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with Chris McPherson to dive into what he thinks are the biggest issues surrounding this Eagles team going into week 18 against the New York Giants. You know the deal by now. The Eagles need to win in order to secure the number one seed. If they lose, they will need some help or they risk falling down to the number five seed and going on the road for wild card week. C-Mac and I will talk about the buildup to this game. And after that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennell and I get into the matchup from an X's and O's standpoint and also just talk about the Eagles going into the postseason from a big picture angle, just like we did this week on Eagles Game Plan. Then to close out the show, in faux focus, we're going to catch up with a guy who's been on the show before. He's one of my go-to guys when it comes to info on the New York Giants. That's Dan Duggan from The Athletic. He knows the G-Men inside and out, covering them every day for The Athletic. And he's going to join us to give us the lowdown on this team, not just going into Sunday, but also uh, into the postseason as well. A big picture look at one of the Eagles' biggest rivals in the NFC East. Now, before we get into that, of course, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify. Leave us a question. Leave us a comment. Appreciate everybody that has thrown us your support recently over on our Apple Podcast page. It's a great way to throw us your support and make this podcast more visible for others looking for Philadelphia Eagles podcasts. Now, uh, before we get into 3 and Out with CMAC, I caught up with Eagles outside linebackers coach Jeremiah Washburn. This week on Eagles Game Plan, we talked through Hassan Reddick and Brandon Graham and Josh Sweat, their impact on this Eagles defense, a record-breaking year for that defensive front from a sack production standpoint. Let's get into that conversation now. A few bites from that chat. We call it Tape Study. Coach, thanks for joining us here on the show. I want to talk. No I want to talk through this pass rush. Uh, obviously, a team record, sixty-seven sacks here so far through sixteen games, and it happened here on this sack from Brandon Graham. Yeah, this is a good group rush. Uh, BG was very aware that it was the slide side, so he had a plan of what he was going to do, and he kind of felt that Kamara might chip him. Uh, so he took a power rush, and it was just a tremendous effort by all four guys. Coach, you talk about the, the slide side versus the man side. At, at what point do you guys realize that in, in the pre-snap phase that, hey, you know what, I'm going to get man one-on-one or I'm going to get a zone kind of uh, two- or three-man block on that side? Yeah, our, our guys are pretty aware of that, and I don't want to say too much on that, yep. but they they are fairly aware of which side when we're in our four-man spacing. We have uh, – Especially Fletch Grave, the D tackles um, do a great job of communicating that out. And then Brandon, obviously a huge year for him. He gets double digit sacks for the first time in his career. And then also uh, the team's nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year. What has it been like just kind of being with him every step of the way here this season? Yeah, he's a transcendent player. You'll you can go a lifetime without coaching another guy like him. That's just consistent day to day. And then he's you know I mean he's a Michigan guy, but he's like Wolverine. I mean just as far as his healing powers, I and mean, especially at this age, what he's doing. I mean his his numbers are unbelievable right now, and, and uh, so it's exciting for him. When you're to the slide side, if you're Josh and you've got this split where you're going to be lined up inside the tackle, you know you're going to be dealing with a little bit extra attention. How does that change your plan of attack? Because he's got to throw a couple different moves here on this rush to be able to get home. Yeah, he's worked at this. He he really has been very intentional with this rush because we do it a little bit in this defense. The D tackles do it more than the DNs do, but it's something we talk about, and, and Rock does a great job with the D tackles as well of just 
just uh, working the technique of that rush. It's been watching Josh over the course of his career has been so fascinating because he came in obviously as a rookie fourth round pick, a little bit raw in terms of his overall rush planning. You saw him continue to build and build and build on that. And now he's got that ability to throw different counters and win so many different ways. He does. He works so hard with his craft through the offseason and then through the season. He's he's one of those guys that's really into the details. Now you talked about Hassan Reddick and his ability to kind of run away from the chip, play that uh, really well against the pass. He's got 16 sacks this year. He's been great getting after the quarterback, but not enough people talking about what he's done against the run as well. Feels like on a weekly basis shows up setting a strong edge in the run. Game. I totally agree. He's that that is something I don't think we give him enough credit for. I, we do in the building, but you know it, he's been tremendous uh, as an edge setter. I don't. And we couldn't do this without him. Time and time again, he's showing up where he's, you know, he's going to have to take on that first man in. Here it's the tight end coming across, but sometimes there'll be a puller coming with him or a wide receiver trying to pin down. And Hassan Reddick just shows up time and time again. That that relentless personality, despite the size, he's been so so strong. Yeah, at the point you of said attack. it. He's relentless with that. His effort's tremendous. He played a lot of game, uh, plays on Sunday against the Saints, and and his effort was was phenomenal every play. I think you talk about guys playing in reverse as well. The multiplicity of this Eagles defense. All these guys, Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, all asked to play in reverse as well moving forward. And we see an example of that here against the Colts. Yeah, we, we do this every so often in this personnel grouping. And um, BG has been a guy that is really committed to this. Uh, it's something we talked about in the offseason, JG. Um, you know, put it on this group as far as the things that, that, that we were going to ask them to do. And they've just, they've committed to it. And, uh, you know, Joe Casper does a great job of working with these guys in coverage as well. And so this is something I know JK was really excited about him uh, in this particular coverage of just his vision right here, picking this guy uh, up crossing the field and, and uh, does a great job. And, and that in turn leads to the sack. When you're Brandon on this kind of play, too, you have to understand that, you know, this is going to be a play-action fake, so there's going to be the run element first. I've got to respect the fact that I might have to set an edge here, but then once he sees that it's passed, he's got to get to his landmark, get his eyes in the right place, and for a guy that's not asked to do that all the time, just makes it a really impressive rep. Yeah, it is. It's something we worked on a good amount, and so uh, we, we know we're the defender in conflict right here. So uh, he just trusted his technique and his eyes, and he did a great job on that. And I know we were all excited for Sue and LJ on that one as well. And again, for that entire segment, be sure to watch Eagles Game Plan or check out Tape Study, which will go up on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the Eagles digital channels. Let's now get into my conversation with Chris McPherson. It's time to go three and out. How about this for a start? They got him again! What a defensive stop. Slave second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, let's now turn our attention to this week here as we talk through uh, week 18 with Chris McPherson for three and out. See, Mac, uh, it's kind of a familiar conversation now, right? Because this is the third <laughs> week in a row where the Eagles have the ability to clinch the number one seed, have been, have been unable to do it the last two games, but obviously all hopes now uh, slide here into week 18. Yeah, it's a bit of a surreal week. Yes. Considering what happened with DeMar Hamlin yeah. and prayers go out to him, his family. No doubt. Uh, everyone who had, had to witness that firsthand and what sort of – Scary is we experienced that in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field to some extent on Sunday with Josh Sweat making the tackle on fullback Adam Prentice and having to be put on the backboard and, and taken off the field on a stretcher into the local hospital. And thankfully, he seems to be on the road to recovery just fine. He tweeted that night that, you know, he'll be back this season and there's no timetable on that. But, um, you know, it's just we're just thankful that the medical staffs around the league are 
being able to pull these guys uh, from these precarious situations. So we, you mentioned the, the playoff implications, and I, I know you already kind of talked through that the Eagles can be high as the one seed, as low as the five seed, and all that stuff. Potentially the two seed, right? Potentially two seed as well, yes, of course. Um, the Giants are locked into the sixth seed, so obviously there'll be some gamesmanship there in terms of what they're going to do to get ready because these teams could end up playing each other in the postseason at some point. So since there's so much up in the air, I kind of said, all right, Eagles and the Giants played just a few weeks ago, 48 points by the Eagles, the most in a road game ever uh, at New York. Let's go. What were the keys? What were, what were the things we were talking about going into that game? Yeah. And, and actually, so I went back and looked, and I said, wow, they actually kind of make sense for, for what we're going to talk about here today. So I'm going to start with number one we talked about then was an O to Brandon Graham. Mm, still timely? Very timely. And it was this was he was just named the team's nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Dave Spadaro wrote the phenomenal column that Graham should be the NFL's comeback player of the year. Still I mean, stands. It still stands. Career high, eleven sacks. Uh, has only had to play forty-one percent of the snaps this season. That's kept him fresh to this point. Uh, the lowest percentage of snaps played in a full season for him since twenty fourteen. Well, great that he has the fresh legs. Great that he's playing at such a high level because. With the Josh Sweat injury and the unknowns in terms of when he'll be able to come back, if he'll be able to come back this season, we need to know what is the depth going to be at the edge rusher position. Nick Sirianni expressed confidence on Monday in the depth of the group overall. You know, kind of talking through, you know, adding in guys like Javon Hargrave when you're talking about guys who could bring the pressure. So just kind of looking at the list here. On the active roster, you have Janaris Robinson, who has been on the roster but has not been active. Is kind of a, an unknown, a wild card. Could he be in the mix for some playing time? Just for context for uh, our listeners, uh, former fourth-round pick, right, out of Florida State by the Minnesota Correct. Vikings a couple years ago. Big-body defensive end. I mean, you've seen him around the building. He is a, he is a really good-looking kid coming out of Florida State. Uh, similar in ways to what Josh Sweat was. Yeah. Uh, I would say not quite as refined as Sweat was even coming out. Um, and obviously, you know, the playing time uh, kind of means, you know, we've, we've seen that, right? Robinson uh, waved after just one year with Minnesota, but has been here developing in the behind the scenes uh, with this Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. So obviously, Eagles are seeing something. They're keeping him on the active roster. No so not exposing him to waivers, putting him on the practice squad, anything along those lines. So is this his time to shine? Potentially. You have Patrick Johnson, who has been worked in. You have Kyron Johnson, the rookie, who's been primarily special teams, okay, yep. to this point. So those are the guys on the active roster. Robert Quinn, okay, acquired from Chicago midseason. He has missed the last five games with a knee injury. He has been on injury reserve for four. So he is eligible to come off. Eagles have not activated a practice window for him yet, so who knows if he's going to be could be ready. But you know, he would be potentially in the mix if the Eagles needed a body there. And then looking at the practice squad, you have Teron Jackson, who That's a good point too. Yeah, you know, was Had a great summer, outstanding. I, I was thinking back to training camp. You know, it seems so long ago, but yeah. we were watching him in, in training camp preseason. We said this is a guy who has to be on the roster, and he's still on the practice squad, so he could be a guy who could get some call ups here. Uh, down the stretch there, so it's it's interesting. Also, so that's from the the personnel standpoint of what right. what Gannon and company could do. From a philosophical standpoint, we talk about how it's not been Gannon's mo to send extra rushers. Now it's kind of interesting because we've had the talks about how Pro Football Focus classifies blitzes. They'll say if you send five, it's a blitz. 
that's basically a base package this season for the Eagles. So you look at the at the metrics, the Eagles are right around the middle of the pack. They're 17th in the league in blitz percentage. And you're saying to yourself, it doesn't seem like it should be that way, but that's because of the five-man pressures. Does Coach Gannon decide to come up with creative ways to send extra rushers? At the same time, how many of your cards are you going to want to show Going into in this, game, the, yeah, right. in this game, going to the postseason. Yes, you want to win. Yes, you want to make sure you secure the number one seed. But again, it's sort of like the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago. You could be seeing these guys in a couple of weeks. Do you want to have that tape out there for them to say, all right, they've shown it on tape, and now we can prepare for it. So, so both from a personnel standpoint and from a philosophical standpoint, I'm inter- interested to see how will the Eagles make up for the potential loss. And again, we don't know. We don't know if he's going to be out this week. Okay, we, we there's really a lot of unknowns when it comes to Josh Sweat at this point in time. We we haven't seen the practice report for this week, but looking ahead, if he's not going to be able to play this Sunday, what will the Eagles do? Yeah, I think that it's going to be uh, interesting to see, and hopefully, you know, Josh Sweat's back in the lineup uh, sooner rather than later, of course. and that's the that's the hope. Now that knowing that he's okay, uh, out of the hospital so very very fast, that's great to hear. So, um, you know, I, I think that that is going to be a, certainly a big topic, especially when you talk about this defensive line being as good as it has been, and Sweat has been a huge part of that. I would say he's been absolutely amazing this season. Uh, did you see this stat from I think it was Seth Walden, ESPN? They created this stat. Uh, yes. Yes, where it's the first to win. Sacks Cree. Oh, the first to win. Oh, okay. Go, go ahead. I, I don't know if I saw this win. one. It was about a week ago. Okay. It was like it was basically like sacks based on the first to win. And so not necessarily the person who gets a sack, but just the person who first created. Who yeah, first they, call, like, they call it sacks created. Yes. yes. So it's so, a guy who basically, if, you, if someone got a pressure and then that pushed the quarterback off a spot and somebody else cleaned it up. Yes. Crediting the, the guy who got the first pressure. Hassan Reddick Hassan Reddick number, number one. one. Yep. Hassan Reddick's one. Sweat, I think, was ninth. Hargrave, I think, was fourth they or three fifth. In the, they had three in the top nine, I believe. It's it insane. Three in the top ten. Absolutely yep. insane this season. So going to number two. So back a couple of weeks ago. It was Jalen Hurts returning to the scene of the worst game of his career, and we went back through the, one of the best games of his career. Well, yeah. So he comes back. We, we talked at the time about the picture of Jordan Mailata, the the, mm. the the attempts at the end of the game that fell short, not being able to get the job done on the road, getting the ankle injury that kept him out, and eventually uh, required surgery in the off season. Well, he goes to the Giants again. They score forty eight points. He threw for two seventeen, rushed for seventy seven, accounted for three total touchdowns. Now. He's coming off a shoulder injury. Has missed the last two games. He was a limited participant in practice last week. It remains to be seen if he's going to be able to be a full participant, if he'll be cleared for this week. The thing is, if he is cleared, is he going to be Jalen Hurts? Okay, is he from a throwing standpoint? And this is the thing. It's not just a throwing standpoint because you want to know from the arm standpoint, okay, Will he have the strength to be able to throw deep? Will he be able to have the accuracy and the touch to get into those tight windows or those boxes uh, against zone coverages? But from a running standpoint, is he going to be any different? Mm. Because part of the Jalen Hurts experience is the way that he is able to uh, win with you know the triple threat that he, he coined it. It's his arm, his legs, and his mind. And if you take the legs out of it because of the concern for the shoulder – 
that's a huge part of it. Was I that mean, the game where he dropped that, or was that a few? That was that might have been like Pittsburgh. That was earlier right? in the season. The that was earlier in the season where he dropped the triple threat one. But that's something that there is, were plays. But there were plays in that game against the Giants in Week 14 where that really kind of came to no a head. Question. Certainly, the, the pre-snap adjustment against the uh, again against the Giants defense, fourth down, uh, calling out that route for Devontae Smith yep. or right, run the slot fade against man coverage. Uh, the the third down conversion throw to Quez Watkins on the crosser where you know he hits the top of his drop and he knows that I've got a free runner I've got to beat this blitz and he puts the ball on the money to Quez Watkins uh, for first down like there were a couple throws in that game that were truly big time from Jalen Hurts yeah so all season long we've been talking about one of the most important things for the Eagles was to see the development of Hurts as a pocket passer and he has Check. flourished yeah, right. easily yes but the fact is he also has almost 750 rushing yards 13 rushing touchdowns he is just so tough to defend Giants come into this game. Okay, again, we don't know the starters and any of that stuff, but taking them at surface level, if they're going to play their starters, look, they've won two of their last three games. They've only allowed 22 points in, in those games. Uh, the loss came to the Vikings on a 61-yard field goal. Jake Elliott, I, I know, would uh, have something to say about that as well. Um, the Giants' defensive line is obviously a strength of this team. Kayvon Thibodeau is, has been coming on strong. Dexter Lawrence has had an outstanding season. And the Eagles' offensive line, Lane Johnson out again. Yep. You know, they're trying to make up after a game where false start penalties, the holding penalty on Landon Dickerson, as ridiculous as it was, Quote, still, yeah. you know, <laughs> still took a touchdown off the board. You know, all these factors come to mind as if Jalen Hurts is to play, are we going to see a full Jalen Hurts? Is it going to be limited? That's the big thing for me. And again, at this point, as we're recording this on Wednesday, we we haven't had even the walkthrough estimation Correct. injury report yep. uh, to see where he's going to be at. But if he is clear to play, is he going to be full go? Yeah, I think obviously that's going to be the the number one topic for Eagles coverage moving over the next few days is what does Jalen Hurts look like in practice? How, how is he going to respond? Uh, is he going to be ready to go? for Sunday, obviously. And Nick Sirianni set the table on Sunday after the game against New Orleans. He said, if he's cleared, he's going to play. Yes. Uh, and so if he's cleared, and I would expect that we're going to see QB1 uh, out there against the New York I Giants. certainly hope so. Love to see him back out there on the field. So last topic here, went back a few weeks ago. It was the coaching chess match. Mm-hmm. And it was just, hey, Sirianni has guided this team to you know only one loss at that point in the year. The Giants, Brian Dable, first year. You know, done a phenomenal job, and now we fast forward. Look, Eagles still have everything to play for, still have the first seed in front of them. If they win, they have it. Giants, you know, credit to Dable on that coaching staff, and Joe Shane, the general manager, first year taking that over. Look, winning season, first time in the playoffs since 2016. They've got that thing uh, going in in the right direction. So uh, it's interesting because, look, we talked about before, Giants are locked into that number six seed. We saw what Nick Sirianni did last season when faced with a similar situation in Week 18 where he decided to rest players, saying that's what he thought was best for the team. Is Coach Dable going to think the same way, or is he going to think, hey, I could possibly knock the, the Eagles out of the one seed? You know, there's going to be some gamesmanship but going that, on. That, that's the thing. Is like, it's weird. It's like, all right, well, uh, if they want to play that way, like, who are you helping? You're helping the, the Cowboys get into the one Possibly. seed, right? And so that's the, the thing. It's like, oh, yeah. it's not like we're, we're hurting one rival to, to help another. Like, um, I, 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 it will be interesting. I'm hoping to get a little bit more clarity from the, on that from Dan Duggan a little bit later in the show. Just what he get a sense of what he thinks uh, the Giants are going to do and, and play that out. Yeah, and you look at the Giants. They are getting healthier, okay? The 
Saquon Barkley was a limited participant in that first matchup. Okay, I'm sure the Giants are going to arrest him for the postseason. You look at the secondary. Okay, the secondary was beleaguered in that first matchup against the Eagles. I think it was Nick McLeod who was stuck on uh, AJ Brown for for one. Still playing a lot, McLeod. Still playing a lot. Still, but they got Xavier McKinney back there at safety now, so that's a huge boost for them. So they're again, they're starting to get things together at at the right time. So um, one thing I do want to touch on. You know, before we wrap up the segment, are the potential milestones? Because even though the Eagles did rest their guys week 18 last season, Nick Sirianni made sure that Jason Kelsey extended his consecutive game started streak. Devontae Smith got a couple catches so he could set the rookie receiving record for the Eagles. Uh, I'm going to throw a couple possible records within reach. Possible ones. Possible within ones within reach. reach. Okay. Nothing, nothing outlandish, but yep. uh, from a team standpoint, five sacks away from the. Single season record currently held by the 1984 Bears, which yeah. they just have to keep doing what they've done over the last month. Plus, exactly, right? yes. I mean, five straight, like five straight games of six, six sacks. sacks. That is so wild. That is, that is an insane stat. Yeah. So you have that. Uh, if the team scores 20 points, they have the new franchise single season scoring record. Okay, okay? very much within reach there. Uh, individual standpoint, if Jalen Hurts were to play. Two rushing touchdowns, it would be the NFL single-season record for rushing touchdowns by a quarterback, currently mm. held by Cam Newton with 14. I'm okay with that one, though. That doesn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it happens great, but that's part of the whole thing is if he plays, is it, are we getting the, uh, the full treatment here? Yeah, so that's right. A.J. Brown needs nine yards to surpass Mike Quick. First target of the game. That, First, you get that yeah, away, right, get get it, you're, yep, you're no done. Doubt. Okay. Devontae Smith, and A.J. Brown's still in the mix for this, but right now, Devontae Smith and Irving Fryer are tied with 88 receptions, which is the most by an history, Eagles right? receiver. Yes. Wild, now, Zach yeah. Ertz has the, t- has the overall franchise record. He had over, I think, 116 yes, right. in, in his, his monster campaign. I think it was 2018. So, yep. um, But for a receiver, they're both tied right now with 88. So, Devontae just needs one there. And then Javon Hargrave, we talked about the sacks. If Javon Hargrave gets one full sack, he will surpass Andy Harmon for the most by a defensive tackle. In single season Eagles history, Harmon had 11 and a half in 1993. Harmon was the uh, alumni captain of the game, honorary captain for. Uh, did he go to the Pro Bowl that year? I don't know. I don't think he did. I was. I, we were talking at, at uh, in the pit the other day. Well, when's the last time a defensive tackle had double digit sacks and did not go to the Pro Bowl? Wow. Like that's because the double digit sacks for an interior player is just oh, such insane. a hard accomplishment. Uh, so for a guy to get that and not go to the especially the Pro Bowl. a guy who's been there, right? The it's guy very who had, it was a legacy select. That's the very thing strange. is usually with linemen, once you're in, you're going yes. every single year. I don't know why Jalen Hargrave no. doesn't have that cachet, but uh, nonetheless, though, kudos to him for following up his first Pro Bowl year with a career year on his part. Well, we will uh, hopefully be talking through a couple of those milestones and more. As the, Again, knock on wood, the Eagles are getting ready for a bye week next week. Uh, C-Mac, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast once again. Let's now transition into our X's and O's segment. We're going to go through some chalk talk. It's time now to catch up with Ben Fennel. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's keep the conversation rolling here with uh, Eagles-Giants going into Week 18 as we welcome in Ben Fennell for Chalk Talk. And Ben, um, getting ready for Eagles game plan this week was 
a little bit different than a normal week, right? Because we typically on the show, we gear the program towards, okay, how do the Eagles come away with a win this week? Very matchup focused, but not knowing on Monday and on Tuesday, and certainly we're sitting here Wednesday morning, not knowing who the Giants are going to play, who they're not going to play, who's going to be the Eagles quarterback, is it going to be Hurts, is it going to be Minshew? So much unknown. We kind of had to talk about both of these teams from big picture. Both are playoff teams going into the postseason. Uh, obviously, the Eagles have a lot more on the line than the Giants do, but um, I guess starting with the, the Eagles' offensive matchup against the Giants, regardless of whether or not uh, the Giants are playing their starters, I think, uh, you know, Wink Martindale has shown he doesn't care who's out there a corner. He's going to blitz. He's going to send pressure. He's going to play man coverage. So regardless of who's playing, Jalen Hurts, Minshew, you got to be able to handle the blitz. Yeah, the people and the personnel can obviously be in flux and uh, different strokes for different folks this time of the season, whether injuries, nothing to play for. X, Y, and Z, but it's really tough to change your philosophical approach at this point in the season. So Wink Martindale, a man coverage defensive coordinator, heavy pressure defensive coordinator, that's who he is. He's not all of a sudden going to turn into a Tampa 2 zone coverage type of defensive coordinator. They are who they are. Now, last week, they put it on the Indianapolis Colts. Actually, didn't see a whole lot of blitzing uh, like we had traditionally seen, but you're still going to see that man coverage on third down. You're going to see a lot of dime, a lot of dollar, a lot of defensive backs deployed out there. Um, a lot of veterans as well, trying to get uh, you know acclimated to the to the scheme, like Tony Jefferson and guys like that. Um, but you're going to get that Giants defense that uh, you kind of know what you're going to get from a, a schematic approach. And that's what I would expect. C-Mac made this point when it, in regards to the Eagles uh, going into this game, but I feel like it's just as applicable to the to the Giants is that they're going into the postseason. You don't want to show anything extra. Uh, I would imagine that they're going to stay true to form, but I don't think you're going to see like anything new from a blitz standpoint. You'll probably see like repeat rushes, repeat kind of schemes um, from this defense. Yeah, and they could even throw some wrinkles, some new blitzes, some new schemes, some new fronts for their opponents in the playoffs to now Just have to, to prepare for. for. Once you put it on film, opponents have to consider it and plan for it and prepare for it during the week in practice. So this is a week where you can throw a lot of different things uh, on the film, so to say, to kind of uh, give your future opponent some issues. But the one guy on that Giants defense I've just been so impressed with, Dexter Lawrence. Yep. Watch him last week against the Colts. He gave Quentin Nelson problems. He gave uh, Will Freeze problems at right guard. He is an exceptionally quick interior defensive tackle, very similar to our own Javon Hargrave in that they're good run defenders. They're 300 pounds, but their best trait is getting up the field and after quarterbacks. Do not let 97 ruin the game, whether it's this week, in the playoffs, next year. He's a really good player. We're going to talk with Dan Duggan in the next segment about who we think like could play, couldn't play, but another guy that just returned to the lineup, Xavier McKinney, and he's a yep. big part of what they do defensively as well. Uh, his versatility being being able to play from depth in their quote-unquote base defense, but then also coming down and playing closer to the line of scrimmage when they get to sub. That's a valuable piece on that defense. And is this game. His, was that his first game back his since first game the back. freak hand injury yes. on the vacation on the yep. bye week? Yep. yep. Yeah, and he's a smart player, versatile player, like you said, can play a number of different roles as a top-down safety, box safety, matchup cover safety, good blitzer. He's a smart player. Kind of an interesting career since being a second-round pick at Alabama. But when he's healthy and on the field, 
he's often one of their best defensive players. And what this did, just kind of talking about, all right, well, no matter who's playing, the Eagles have to be ready for the blitz. It gave us the opportunity to talk about, you know, Jalen Hurts' improvement against the blitz and not knowing whether or not Jalen's going to play. I think this is more applicable to, hey, it's not just about week 18. This is Jalen Hurts going into the postseason, Jalen Hurts going into 2023 and beyond. The, the We knew that he coming in, like, yeah, he can beat the blitz with his arm. He's got the ability to run away from defenses and make plays with his legs. We know that. But also his ability now to win with his mind, with his arm. And we saw some examples of that the last time these two teams played. You know, and before you get into the Jalen aspect of the blitz, first of all, the offense avoiding blitz situations, avoiding those third and longs this season have been outstanding. The receivers and the rapport on the hot routes, the adjustments been outstanding. The running backs, their eyes, their keys, Gainwell, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, getting themselves into the right position to pick up blitzers. And then the quarterback. Clearly, we know Jalen Hurts' willingness to now hang in there, be a passer under pressure with a lot of times these mobile quarterbacks. You see some pressure. Your instincts are to escape pressure with your feet and make plays. And that's okay. But the maturation and development is beating the blitz with your arm in combination with beating it with your legs. We saw some pressure against the Giants in Week 14. Hurts took off with his legs in man coverage. We also saw him hang in under pressure, Mm. which is that next step. And I think the one thing to point to for this season, playing so much faster in a post uh, post snaps, uh, you know, conversation, having decisions, answers, eliminations and getting the ball out and up and down so much quicker this season. You see it against the blitz. And I think taking that pre-snap information into post-snap decisions has been the number one you know, eye-popping, glaring improvement from Jalen Hurts in 2020 yeah, or 2022. Yeah, and that's where the you know the familiarity with the offense and understanding where your answers are in any given play. Hey, if I I I have a full understanding of all five eligible receivers, where they're attacking on this play call, and if the defense does something I'm not expecting in the drop of a hat, I know oh this is where I have to go yep. in this scenario. And so uh, that's where that familiarity. The combination really comes of in. like you know familiarity familiarity with the scheme and getting more comfortable with the answers designed in the scheme. And for every, you know, point in that conversation, the trust that he has in his players around him, yep. the trust in the O-line to keep his eyes up under pressure, knowing they might pick something up late and keep him clean, his trust that his receivers aren't going to bail him out with an off-target throw. You know, just so much trust in this offense, allowing him to play faster as well. It's really a full machine at work here from the coaches, the line, the receivers, the quarterback, the running back. But Jalen Hurts certainly making it all tick. The analogy I've used in the past, and so our longtime listeners will be familiar with it, is uh, learning how to drive for the first time. You know, your first, you are, you got your hands at ten and two, and you're like, oh, which one's the turn signal? Oh, where's the gear shift? Where's the? By the time you've been driving now for a few months, a year, two <laughs> years, three years, you do it's all second nature. You're just doing it without even thinking. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, very, very similar into what these guys are asked to do. Um, and now, the, real quickly, the other way that the Eagles handled the Giants blitz in that game week 14, and this was a segment. Uh, that Greg Cosell wanted to hit on, that run game. Uh, And Miles Sanders had a huge day, a career day, against the Giants just a few weeks ago. Yeah, a lot of those gap scheme runs, a lot of power, a lot of counter concepts, and then the QB run game. We saw some power lead concepts at Miles Sanders' lead block that you don't see too often. Yeah, the water you know, boy, the water boy exactly. play. Exactly. Yep. The QB zone read where you're wrapping two tight ends to the perimeter. Cool play. A little motion of four strong. 
and then a QB draw for a touchdown, and then all a scramble. So as much as Miles Sanders and the gap schemes were clicking, the quarterback run schemes were clicking, his ability to create with his legs out of structure was clicking, you can attack opponents a lot of different ways on the ground. Almost 200 yards rushing in the second half in yep. that game, and so that was obviously a huge point of emphasis for that team, running to win to seal that victory against the Giants a few weeks back. Let's now go over to the, the other side of the football, and you know, talking with Ike Reese leading into the production, and said, all right, well, what's a play that you want to break down? Is there something? He's, you know what? I want to look at that Josiah Scott interception, uh, and that, that came in basic cover four uh, here for the Eagles defense. The Eagles, one of the biggest cover four teams in football. And, you know, it's funny, posting clips on social media, some of these breakdown clips that, uh, that you put together early in the week. Fans are, are very up in arms about like the man versus zone stuff and what the splits are and QB completion percentage and things like that. But uh, you know, I think when you are going to, I've said this for a long time here uh, on the show, cover four can be tricky. If you're going to be a big quarters team, I think that if you major in it, you could be really good at it and the coverage is really, really sound. If you are not a team that majors in quarters, it's tough because the rules and the, the the overlap there between defenders and how you handle route concepts can be really, really tricky. The Eagles, I think, are in the top five, might be in the top three in how often they run quarters. And uh, plays like this, that Josiah interception, show a big reason why he was able to kind of fall under that route, understanding what the weakness was in the coverage. Here's how I have to guard against it. And the interesting extension of that conversation is Jonathan Gannon, I think, is a quarter scheme disciple at home. Heart. But like Nick Sirianni has been preaching here, you know, in his two years, a wise man avoids all extremes. Yep. And I think Gannon really avoids all extremes in a lot of his coverage calls. You know, he's pretty evenly split from split safety and single high schemes, pretty evenly split between man and zone schemes. Yes. Is there highs and lows in each of those scenarios? Absolutely. But the fact that you're not really predominantly anything I think it's the name of the game in the NFL right now. Disguise your schemes, have a lot of different schemes, play fairly vanilla schemes so young guys can come in and everyone knows the responsibilities, interchangeable, and just change up your looks pre to post snap. And I think Gannon does a great job as much as we want to highlight the quarters usage can highlight so many great man-to-man usages over the last month or two. So, you know, I don't think Gannon is particularly anything. And that's okay. That's how I like it. Yeah, I think that that ambiguity is a really helpful tool for. Uh, and that's just the preparing. back end. Yeah, right. That's just the back end. Yep. And one of the more interesting things this whole team is the versatility in the defensive front. Right. You are anything on your defensive front. It's only six or seven or eight different defensive front deployments from this uh, Gannon defense. It just shows how many different ways they can attack opposing offenses, which I think is good. Have different things to throw, different schemes to throw, different philosophies to throw. Makes it really tough to prepare for. And I think that we often, with this scheme, are so quick to say, like, to to really delineate, oh, well, the D line gets the the, the sack, so it's, but the, the coverage is brutal. Now, like so many of these sacks that we watched, they, they had seven sacks this past week against New Orleans. How many of them were like, man, like the coverage was really, really good there? We actually had to whittle some out because we we're like, oh, we just I don't want to do a five play breakdown of sacks showing all the different ways the coverage impacted it. But uh, picking like the three best in zone and the two best in man, uh, where guys did an outstanding job on the back end to help the defensive line get home. Well, the old joke is, show me four guys that can cover. And I'll show you four guys that can rush the passer. Right. And what does that mean? Hey, if you can give those pass rushes an extra tick or two to get home because you're sticky in coverage, typically, if you're good in coverage, somebody's going to have time to win up front. So I think a lot of that production that we're getting from that D-line is a hat tip to the back end. And there's some sticky coverage on the back end that you don't always watch the All-22 copy. You just see, you know, uh, Hargrave or Cox or Brandon Graham sitting on the quarterback. 
Well, that quarterback was trying to get rid of the ball. Why didn't he? Yep. There's usually a reason. Well, you and I, we take, you know, try to take a look at a lot of the numbers, a lot of the metrics around this team on a weekly basis. And one thing that has stood out to me is that the Eagles have consistently been in the top three in pressure rate uh, over the course of the season. But if you look at like time to pressure, they're always like, you know, anywhere from like nine to twelve. But what does that tell you? It's like, oh, well, like the, the pressure is like they're consistently getting pressure, but it's not like it's win fast. The quarterback has to hold on to the football to allow that pressure to get home. And that's a, a nod to the coverage. And there's inside baseball stuff with that, too. Typically, the teams that have the high time to pressure rate yep. are the blitzing teams. Yep. The ones that are trying to scheme up free hitters that are unobstructed, getting to the quarterback, thus getting there faster. The Eagles have a great defensive front with D linemen that can win and rush the passer. They don't have a whole lot of need to subtract from coverage and blitz. Yep. So I know it's kind of a default statement. Why don't we blitz more and be aggressive? We don't really need to. Yeah. So the more players you can then have back in coverage and allocate to stopping the pass, then gives those three, four, five guys up front time to win. That's a beautiful marriage right there. Mm. I'll tell you right now, you ask 32 defensive coordinators, I bet 75% of them would say, if I don't have to blitz, I would prefer not to. Right. Because that's a subtracting in coverage, which leaves you vulnerable in one area to excel in another area. You can't be strong in every area. Can't be. You have to understand what you're willing to allow as, and a, as a defense. Every defensive scheme has weaknesses. Yep. The high pressure ones have weaknesses. The passive schemes have weaknesses. Split safety, single high, odd fronts, even fronts, overs, under fronts. Everything has pros and cons. And you don't get to decide after the snap a lot of times or you know after the play and say, oh, wait a minute, you ran that play? We should have called that defense. Yep. Well, yeah, you should have. Right. You know, It's not necessarily your defense was wrong but it maybe wasn't timely. And I think that's the fun cat and mouse of explaining football to fans. It's one of the things you and I have talked about too, like uh, throughout the course of the season, some of the big runs the Eagles have given up have been like a second and 12 trap play or a, you know, a second and nine well, draw second and play. 12, I'm like allocating resources yep. to stop the pass. Right, exactly. So right. we are then vulnerable in the run game. Yep. So if they happen to want to run it on second and 10, which a lot of people say second and 10 run, ha, are you trying to lose the game? Great play for the defense. That's, yep. You're almost encouraging them to run. Yep. So if they then break off a six, seven yard run, you're then have up in arms. That's what you were planning for and yep. allocating your resources for. Yeah. It's a fascinating discussion. Um, and it's something that we want to continue talking about uh, here with this defense. And, you know, we did so here with Greg, you know, we're talking about with Greg Cosell going into the game, uh, going into the show rather. Hey, what's something we want to talk about with this Eagles defense and just, you know, when, when they've been at their best on third down, their, their best third and long defense, I think by a wide margin here uh, so far this season. Mm-hmm. And the, the, it's something you talked about earlier, the variety in terms of their coverages. It's not like, uh, you know, we talked about the Saints last week. Oh, but it's third and long. The Saints are going to play in man-to-man coverage. It's probably it's going to be two-man or one robber, uh, and they're going to play three-two-six dime. Linebackers going to be on line of scrimmage, and they're probably going to be a stunt. Like, that's the identity of that t- defense on third down. With the Eagles, it is, like, all over the place. Or you might be getting some kind of, like, disguised uh, inverted cover three or an inverted cover two. You might get cover one. You might get quarters. Like, all, you might get cover zero. All the different varieties. Variety, I think it's been really fun to watch with this defense, and that was something Greg hit on in the show. Yeah, absolutely. Once you get into those advantageous down and distances, you know, the second and longs, the third and mediums and longs, then you can start having fun. You saw that in that Giants game that Greg broke down where they ran a lot of cool invert coverage, yep. where they come out in a split safety look, looks like too high, and all of a sudden, Josiah Scott screams from, you know, a very shallow alignment to the post. Saw it two times in week 14, one generated a sack that Greg's going to break down, and another one, Daniel Jones threw the post into double coverage. 
Why did he do that? Well, pre-snap said, middle field open. Yep. I got the post. Here we go. Post-snap, you changed the picture, nope. threw it right into double coverage. So I think once you get into those advantageous situations, which we always say, you have to earn the right to rush the pass. You have to earn the right to have those exotic calls. And you saw even on Sunday in a game that didn't go the Eagles' way, you get into some advantageous situations. What's a cool thing we saw? Brandon Graham at nose tackle on third down. Cool fronts. You get to do cool things by earning the right to do that, by playing solid ball on first and second in those early downs. So did some really cool things on third down in that Giants game. I expect some similar things if they get in those situations. Yeah, going back through my notes for coming out of that game in Week 14 against the Giants, two of my first two points uh, you know, in my sheet – uh, the Eagles just doing a great job of forcing teams to play left-handed. The Giants want to be able to run the ball. The Eagles did an outstanding job of locking up the run and getting into third and long. And what did the Giants do? They started 0 for 5 on third down. And I wrote down the variety on third down kept the Giants on their toes. Dime defense, invert coverages, cover one, cover eight, cover four, double stunts, different pressures, disguises, so much variety just in that game uh, on third down. It was just, it was a clinic. Uh, I didn't go matchup. into this podcast with any of that in my notes here. As yep. I'm, I feel like I'm pretty well prepared. There was something just kind of triggered as you were talking and thinking what are we and it's like well we're not any of that we're not that we're not this we're not that we do some of this and some of that and some of this that's what we are that's how some of the best <laughs> yeah. defenses play that's how yep. Luana Ruma plays in Cincinnati and you know um up in Tennessee with Mike Vrabel it's like all these different schemes to throw at you with really smart, technically sound players, tough players, it's a fun group. Yeah, and that's what it's, you look at it on both sides of the ball, right? On offense, there are teams that have a very well-defined identity. Hey, this is what we are. And then there are offenses where it's like, oh, they could do this, but then they could also do that. Or they could do A, B, C, but then they could do X, Y, Z. It's, it's tough to, to game plan for those kind of And just like the pros well. and cons within the schemes, there's pros and cons to that philosophy too. Right. Yeah, yep. no, no question. There's a, a lot of ways uh, to skin a cat, as we've said multiple times here uh, on the show. Probably need to come up with a different analogy than that, though. Um, all right, so <laughs> we look at it for a lot of different. My cat at home probably wouldn't appreciate that. Um, you look at numbers every week. We talked about this. Uh, are there any stats? I mean, it's week 18. You want to just empty the notebook? And yeah, let's do with here? a five pack here. A little five Jeez, pack. Sorry. As uh, <laughs> we have a lot of interesting nuggets here. My CBS crew is going to be doing the game yeah, on, that's uh, right. so on Sunday. Davis so and, uh, a little information Eagle, yeah. overload here. How about the Eagles? The only team. With five players with 30-plus QB pressures this season. Five so, players, 30-plus QB pressures. I know we've highlighted the four play, players with double-digit sacks. Yeah, I think so. five players with 30-plus pressures is equally impressive. Just the variety of depth. Brandon Graham, season-high 50 snaps last week. With this a lot of that in lieu of Josh Sweat's unfortunate injury. He hasn't played that much since Week 16, 2020. And did a variety of spots. Played stand-up end, snug end with his hand in the turf, three-tech, that nose tackle package like we had talked about as well. There was like two or three reps, right? Or yep, doing the nose tackle exactly. Stuff? So yep. a guy at his age, excited to see he finally got a double-digit sack season. But he had to do a lot of dirty work on Sunday. Expect that to continue the rest of the season. Miles Sanders, okay. third leading rusher in the NFL wow. between the tackles. Wow. Something that you may not have yeah, projected coming out of college there. A bit of a perimeter back, satellite back, pass game back. Well, he's behind Josh Jacobs and Ramon J. Stevenson. He's ahead of Derrick Henry with running between the tackles. Career high by over 200 yards. Really hat tip to Miles wow. Sanders, who's having a great, great season. QB running. We know we have a great QB running here with Jalen Hurts, but 10-yard runs. So who's ripping off the most explosive runs by quarterbacks? We all expect Justin Fields, one. Lamar Jackson, two. 
Well, number three isn't Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, any of those guys. It's Daniel Jones. It's Daniel Jones. Yeah, a bunch of them in this game. And he did on Sunday against the Colts. In structure, out of structure. Yep. He will take off and boogie on you. He is big. He looks a little corny out there. He can take off and run. He has wheels. He's big. He's strong. He's athletic. And no matter if it's Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor in this game, however that margin splits hey, Dable's out. Dable's running the same guys, playbook. Yeah, both yep. guys are going are gonna to impact you that way. And way. my favorite stat of the week here, we love giving the hat tip to pass rushers, particularly here in Philadelphia. We got tons of them. We're about to break sack records, double-digit sack records. Well, across the NFL, players with a 15% pressure rate, so consistently getting after the quarterback, yeah. minimum 300 pass rushers. 15% pressure rate. Okay. So you're an ep- exceptional pass rusher. Yep. But you also have 30 run stops. Love it. There's okay. four guys in the NFL. Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Micah Parsons. And Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick. Yep. I think Hassan Reddick needs more attention for what he's doing on early downs and in the run game. We know his pass rush prowess. Obviously, one of the more uh, efficient quarterback rushers in the NFL, right up there with the, that group. But also the run stops. It's a pretty impressive Mount Rushmore right there. Garrett, Bosa, Parsons, Reddick. Hassan Reddick, outstanding season. He's been awesome against the run. Uh, just uh, dominating tight ends on the outside. Uh, so often uh, on perimeter schemes to his side, he'll take two, which means like, uh, let's say it's a, a pin-pull scheme where a wide receiver or tight end is trying to pin down on him. He will fight through that block and then dismantle the puller as mm-hmm. well. So now the corner or the safety, whoever, whoever is replacing outside, has the ability to make the stop. Reddick has done that all season. And that was kind of a messy one with the pressure rate and the run stops. Right. So I tried to make it just a clean 15. Yep. Josh Sweat is 14.9%, <laughs> literally right below that group. So uh, nice. would have good. been a little messier to get in there, but hat tip to him as well. Hope he gets himself healthy. No doubt. That's a, that's a great stat there. Well, Ben, uh, great stuff as always. We'll check out Ben over on the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. I know we're breaking down a new Eagles mock draft. Jordan Reed from ESPN putting out a new one. We'll talk through the national title game, which is next Monday night. Make sure you check that out, the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Now, let's keep the conversation rolling here about this job. Giants team, let's welcome in Dan Duggan. It's time now to go to Faux Focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, pleased to be joined this week on Faux Focus by Dan Duggan, who does an outstanding job covering the New York Giants for The Athletic. You could follow him on Twitter at DDuggan21. Dan, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, friend. So let's get into uh, this Giants team, and really we can start a little bit differently than we normally do here in this segment, because I'm going to ask you first to put on your Brian Dable hat, the head coach of the Giants. Your biggest concern for this team going into the game, I guess really it has to do with like playtime, and that's going to be, I know that's the big topic of conversation in North Jersey right now, is who's going to play, who's going to sit, for the guys that do play, how long are they going to play? As we sit here today, what's your sense of how this is going to go down on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, we're still trying to get to the bottom of it because we asked Dable about it on Monday and he just kind of gave a stock answer of like, we're, we'll figure it out and we'll do what's best for the team. Really didn't tip his hand either way. You know, obviously our job is kind of read between the lines. And I think if you're going to play the guys, there'd be no reason to play a coy. You know, we, don't, we didn't ask him last week who was going to play. You know, it's, right. it's kind of understood. So the fact that he kind of waffled on it uh, leads me to believe he'll probably uh, rest some guys. You know, obviously he's a first year head coach, so there's no track record there. But you start looking at where guys come from, and obviously he spent the last four years in Buffalo. And in 2019, Buffalo was locked into their playoff seed in the last game of the year, and they rested some of their guys, like just made them straight, healthy scratches, some of their veteran starters, and then even like Josh Allen uh, played like the first quarter. So that's the blueprint I think that would make the most sense for this team. Because listen, you can't, you know, you can't, you know, make 15 guys inactive. 
So some guys will have to play, and I would think they probably will let Daniel Jones play, but I would think it'd be something like that, like a quarter or so, uh, and then it becomes, you know, the Tyrod Taylor show, and a lot of the young guys will be getting in there. Um, you know, again, he hasn't confirmed that, but I think part of that is, too, he wants his players to be locked in this week, and, you know, as if they're going to play, and then, you know, maybe Friday night or Saturday, he says, okay, well, here's the plan. Um, but I think until then, he's going to keep it close to the vest. So with that in mind, if the, if you think it'll be sort of preseason ish where guys play a you know a couple series or a quarter, who are the guys you feel like would definitely come out? Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley certainly come to mind. Are there any other players that uh, kind of fit that description? You feel will probably be part time players in this matchup? Right. Yeah, and I think the certain guys who are banged up, I think you probably just make them inactive. That would be yeah. like Leonard Williams, who's kind of been battling through a stinger all you know the whole second half of the season. So that'd be crazy to play him almost regardless because um, they're going to need him for the playoffs. Obviously, Aziz Ojolari, same thing. He's kind of been battling things all year. He's he's coming off a sprained ankle, only played seven snaps on Sunday. So again, give him rest. Uh, but you know the other guys, yeah, the Saquon, Daniel Jones. Um, you know, the guys who play a ton of snaps, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, I'm sure John Feliciano, the center, he's been kind of banged up all year. He's a veteran. He doesn't need, you know, uh, a ton more snaps to get ready for the playoffs. Dexter Lawrence has been a monster and played a ton of snaps. They've actually consciously been kind of reducing his snaps lately anyways. So he's a guy who maybe he shoots up but plays, you know, that first quarter type preseason feel. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these other guys are young guys to begin with. So you probably just like Evan Neal, right tackle, you just play him because – the reps are probably just as valuable as the rest, you know, for a guy like that who's still developing. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see just to see how this staff handles that uh, being put in this situation. It's something the Eagles were in uh, just a year ago against the Dallas Cowboys. And obviously with the, the COVID restrictions that year, they were able to literally like play all practice squatters in that game. It was uh, very mm. like preseason game three feel in that matchup against Dallas. And as you mentioned, it's not going to be it's not quite the same scenario here for New York from a roster management standpoint. But um, yeah, I would be I would be shocked if it went even more than what you're saying. I, I, I agree that I think it'll probably be more the lines of how you described it so with that in mind now just looking at the offensive side of the ball ask you to put on your Mike Kafka hat you're the offensive coordinator here for the New York Giants what's the biggest strength for this team going into not not only this game here in week 18 but just going into the postseason in general yeah I mean I think he's done a phenomenal job because again if you just look at this roster look at this wide receiver core and, and see the names and see the past production and what they're doing this year like they have squeezed every drop out of this group um, Daniel Jones obviously has, you know, made big strides this year, even if it doesn't always show up in the box score, but he's just, you know, played a really efficient quarterback. The, the legs have become way more of a weapon. So I think that's sort of their advantage. You know, it's kind of like a, a broad answer, but it's like the fact that they have been able to adapt because they started out the year and it was all Saquon. He was carrying the team, big personnel, run heavy. And then he went into a lull and all of a sudden here, they've seemed like they found another rhythm uh, in the last couple of games where they're letting Daniel Jones throw the ball. They're an empty a lot. They're in shotgun a lot. They're not just running play action and bootlegs. They're actually letting Daniel Jones um, kind of dictate the offense. And, and that's worked out pretty well. Obviously, they had the big win down in Washington, went out to Minnesota, and you know he threw for 300-plus yards. Um, and then this past week, you know, obviously, Indy, they kind of took care of business, but he played great, you know, four, four total touchdowns with rushing and passing. So I think that's really been sort of the beauty of, of this coaching staff and the way they've managed this offense is they they just kind of push the right levers at the right time, and, and they have some variability. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, Saquon kind of drives the bus. But I think the really encouraging fact for them going into the playoffs is the passing game has shown some signs of life and have settled on this this trio of Darius Slayton, Richie James, and Isaiah Hodgins. Not exactly mm-hmm. household names, uh, but they've all been productive. 
Yeah, no question. I mean, we've we've talked about Hodgins and what he's done over the last few games. We talked about that earlier this week uh, here with Greg Cosell. Darius Slayton has been the go-to guy for Jones over the majority of this season, especially in the second half. Uh, and it almost feels like at this point, Dan, that it would be a surprise if Dan- Daniel Jones was not back uh, with the New York Giants next year. Right? Obviously, he, both he and Saquon, a number of these players, getting ready to hit the, the open market, Darius Slayton included. But uh, it's just speaking about Daniel Jones in particular, it would be a shock if he was not back in Giants blue here at this point next fall. Absolutely. And listen, the deck was stacked against him. Like, make yeah. no mistake about it. They came in, they had three years of film, they had everything else, and they declined the fifth-year option, which is yep. a lot of times that's an automatic decision. And, and totally understandable. A, he was coming off a big injury. B, the production wasn't great. And, you know, C, they just wanted to make him prove it. You know, put it on him to change their minds. And he's done that. I mean, that's the beauty of, like, a, a contract year, a make-or-break year. He had to go out. And, and lead this team to win, which he's done. He had to stay healthy. He had to be productive. He's done all those things. He's checked all those boxes. Because the thing with him is he's always checked all the boxes intangible-wise. Like, everyone, no one's ever said a bad word about him, work ethic, teammate, leader, all that stuff. But you needed to produce on the field. And I think, you know, marrying him with this staff, they finally uh, brought the best out of him. And, yeah, so now, listen, how they do it is going to be a franchise tag. Can they come to some long-term agreement, you know, that is all, hey, Joe Shane's going to, you know, that's where they pay him the big bucks. He had to figure all that out this offseason. But it's very hard for me to see them moving on. And, and, again, I'm someone who was, you know, was definitely a skeptic and thought probably would be moving on, you know, even halfway through the year. But the way he's played lately and, and where he's gotten this team, so I just think it would be a really tough sell to say, yeah, this is great, our first playoff season in, in six years, but we're going to change quarterbacks and, and not have any great alternative either. So uh, I think it's pretty much a lock that he'll be back. What's your thought on how they're going to handle Saquon uh, here this offseason? Yeah, I mean, it's, they got some interesting decisions, no doubt about it. I mean, I think he'll definitely be back as well. But the fascinating part of this now is, you know, there's only one franchise tag. So, yeah. you know, you thought when it was, you know, that was always in the back pocket for Saquon. Now they might need to, you know, use it with Daniel Jones. Because we really have no idea what Daniel Jones is looking uh, at contract-wise. I mean, we it's hard for us even on the outside to peg a value, let alone what his agents, I'm sure. Obviously, you know, they don't get paid 3% to just, you know, take a, a hometown discount. So they're going to be pushing for, you know, a big money deal. So. The tag might have to go to Daniel Jones, which makes things really interesting with Saquon because they actually did talk to him at the bye week about extension. They did not with Daniel Jones. And from what I gather, I mean, they're in the ballpark, but obviously nothing got done. There's still some work to be done there. I think he's a guy who does value, you know, being here, the New York, you know, uh, for his brand, like all that stuff I, I think does matter to him that like, you know, all things being equal, he'd rather stay here than go sign in Jacksonville for a little bit more money. But Again, you know, money does talk, and so it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, like, as soon as this season ends, like, Joe Shane's work really begins. He's done a great job kind of filling some holes this year, but he's got some monumental decisions that are going to shape this franchise, and it's, it's decisions that we thought maybe six months ago he wouldn't have to make because if you're going to let, let all Dave Gettleman's guys walk, now it's like how much are you going to pay all these guys you inherited? That's the thing is that they've made really good moves uh, on both sides of the football, like kind of filling in the margins, the Nick McLeods of the world and the Isaiah Hodgins of the world, kind of finding these guys right. off the scrap heap to come in. Uh, some of the, some of whom they were familiar with, right, in, in previous stops. But uh, those those big moves are often what define uh, these regimes, and so that will be interesting to see how that is handled. That said, let's get over to the defensive side. I'm going to ask you now. Put on your Wink Martindale hat. You're the the Giants' defensive coordinator. What's the biggest strength of this unit going into not just again Week 18, but going into the postseason <laughs> you got to notice a trend on my answers here like the biggest strength i think is the coaching on the defensive side of the yeah. ball like the, the winks scheme has been such an advantage and i'll be honest like you saw it even in baltimore those first three years you know they're like a top five top ten scoring defense every year like really you know a dominant defense and also last year they had some personnel issues and they plummeted 
So I looked at this roster and said, man, they got some holes here, like especially in the secondary. Is Wink going to be able to run his system as effectively? So, I mean, it's hats off to him that, like, again, they have some glaring holes on defense, and somehow it has not been a problem. I mean, like, you know, Dory Jackson was playing like a Pro Bowl corner. Now he's missed like six weeks, and they haven't skipped a beat, really. I mean, obviously, there's been some some hiccups, don't get me wrong, but overall, um, the defense has played really well when you consider the personnel. I mean, if you're talking about the strength personnel-wise, it's definitely the pass rush, and it's been amazing because they have not had their top four guys, which being Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aziz Ojolari, and Kayvon Thibodeau, on the field more than like a dozen or two dozen. Like it's, it's been so limited how much those guys have played together this year because they've all been banged up other than Dexter Lawrence. But when they had, they had the one game at, you know, at Washington it was really like basically their, their playoff game and they were all out there together that game. And it was like a dominant performance, make game changing plays. And that's what you see as like that group can, can give this team a chance against anybody because obviously, you know, everything starts up front and, and then you add in wink with the, uh, the exotic looks he gives like Kayvon Thibodeau has had a couple just, unblocked blindside sacks, which, I mean, that's that's a dream for any edge rusher. And you would think a guy as dangerous as him wouldn't get as many of those, but Wink just throws so much at the offensive line, the quarterback, that there's, there's always protection breakdowns, and and, and these guys have, have made the most of that. And then you've got Dexter Lawrence, who doesn't matter who you put up against him, he just drives him into the backfield and sacks the quarterback. So it's, it's been uh, a, real, a real strength of this team is that pass rush up front. Yeah, certainly a lot to handle both mentally and certainly physically once you get between the lines there with that Giants defensive front. Uh, just going into the offseason, let me be my last question for you, Dan. Going into the offseason, what do you view as the biggest need, like the area where they could address uh, here once we get into uh, the month of March and certainly in April in the draft when you look just on the defensive side of the football? Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable because, I mean, this has obviously been a really good season for them. They've you know, won nine, potentially ten games here. And you still look, there's plenty of holes they need to fill. So if you're, so offensively, you look at the interior offensive line, wide receiver, you're asking defensively, I think they still need uh, more help at cornerback for sure. Yeah. Because Adoree Jackson, who's had durability issues, and uh, he only has one year left on his deal. So they could definitely use another top corner. I really still believe that if Sauce Gardner had fallen to five, he would have been the pick. Like I think Wink needs and wants a true lockdown number one corner. So not that they're going to be able to get a, a Sauce level player in the draft, but I would think that would be a priority. And then inside linebacker, it's really remarkable what they've done considering the level of play they've gotten at that position all season. I mean, it's been a revolving door of just kind of cast-offs and young players. I mean, Landon Collins has, you know, re-emerged. I mean, he was a guy who was a, you know, defensive player of the year candidate here six years ago, and all of a sudden now he's back and he was on the practice squad, and, and now he's, he's in the mix having a, you know, huge pick six on Sunday. So uh, that's a position they need to address, whether that's free agency or the draft. Like, I, I don't think you can just kind of keep scotch taping that position. It'll go a long way to just have like a, legitimate NFL caliber inside linebacker to kind of, you know, be the, the central cog of your defense. You can follow his work on The Athletic and obviously follow him on Twitter at DDuggan21. Dan, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, friend. Great stuff there from Dan Duggan. And for more on our Eagles game plan analysis here of this Eagles-Giants matchup, let's hear from the Eagles game plan crew. John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. All of this stuff that you're going to hear in this show, well, we couldn't fit it into Eagles game plan just due to time constraints. But I saved it all here for you. Here's everything off the cutting room floor from this week's episode of Eagles game plan. 
All right, what a rushing performance for the Eagles the last time they played against the Giants on the road. And then Miles Sanders against the Saints, he had a lot more carries in the second half, obviously. He was over five yards per carry. What do you take from that? Yeah, and you got to stay on the field. I mean, let's face it, only 17 plays in that first half last week, and the majority of those plays came in the final 19 seconds of the first half. You can't have three and outs. You have to be able to sustain drives. When you're able to pick up first downs, you're able to go deeper into your play. Playbook. Now guys will get the opportunity to run the football to get touches. You can't lose yards on first down, get behind the sticks, because then you can't stay on schedule with what you want to do offensively. So if I'm looking at this offense, the first thing they have to do, get positive yards on first and second down, convert on third down, have those sustained drives, and then everybody will get the opportunity to touch the ball. Ike, when this team commits to running the football, I don't think that there's a defense out there that can stop them. They're going to see good defenses when they get into the playoffs. They have to be ready and committed to running the football. And also, you're going to be facing a Giants team where you don't necessarily know who you're going to be seeing on the other side of the ball. We know they're going to blitz. We know they're going to get after it. How do you prepare for a team when you don't necessarily know the personnel for the entirety of the game? Yeah, I've been in a couple of these games like this. When you get to the end of the year and either your team or the other team isn't going to play all their players, and we don't know what the Giants' intentions are in this game. So that's why when you prepare for the game, you just have to basically prepare for the scheme. It helps that this is a divisional opponent that you've already seen this year. So the Eagles can at least rely on that. Some of the things they saw in that first matchup versus the Giants and really just prepare to uh, attack or defend against what they would typically get from the Giants. All right. You know about the Eagles pass rush. Well, Daniel Jones is the fourth most sacked quarterback in the NFL, but we don't necessarily know if it's going to be Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor for most of the game. One thing the Giants will do, they're going to run the ball. There's only a few teams better in the NFL at running the ball. They go for about a buck 50 a game, but a lot of that is quarterback runs. So how important to have that game plan ready to go, no matter who's playing on the Giants offense? Yeah, I don't think it really matters which quarterback is back there playing. They both have very similar skill sets, and Brian Dayball's not going to change his offense up. Right. He's coached Tyrod Taylor in the past. So I, I would expect from a defensive standpoint, you have to play assignment football, right? When you have these quarterback read runs where, you know, one guy has the responsibility for the dive and then the back end guy has to have the responsibility for the quarterback. Well, that's assignment football. And you have to trust that the other guys are going to do their job. You can't try to do too much. If your job is to take the quarterback, then you stick with the quarterback. Don't try to go get the running back. And that's what happens with these design quarterback runs and read options and things of that nature is that the offense is really relying on the defense to make a mistake somewhere when it comes to their assignments. And that's where the Eagles, I think, will be okay because they have a quarterback as well that they've had a chance to practice against this type of stuff. So they understand this whole read option and quarterback run responsibility stuff. You're right on it because it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. They're going to run the football. It's what they do. If you look at the receiving core, you're not any household names in their receiving group. They run the football. If it's Saquon or one of the other running backs, but you know it's a running style and you have to be assignment sound. I do like the fact that in the middle of the Eagles defense, they've got some studs and a lot of beef. And it's hard to run the football in the middle of that defense. You have to make sure, as you said, that everyone's on assignment. That if you're supposed to be in a gap, you have to fill that gap. The linebackers have to come up. The safeties have to come up. Sometimes those safeties, they're responsible for that C gap. They've got to get up into that C gap and make a stop. The guys on the outside as well, when the cornerbacks have contained on those outside and that ball is coming to them, they've got to turn that ball back to the inside. This is going to be 
a test of your run defense. And we saw Marcus Epps, he has become a better run defender. He's improved in that area. Without Avante Maddox back there, you've got some injuries in the secondary. How do you think the secondary has done against the run, but also the pass? I think they've done a decent job. I mean, I can't really recall right off the top of my head whether or not a team ran the ball over the last few weeks well against this defense. And a lot of it is that you're getting all 11 guys to be a part of the defensive run game. Q yeah. just mentioned about the corners and the safety having to show up and do their job and responsibility in these gaps. And not to ignore the passing game of the Giants because you certainly want to respect the fact that you will throw the ball at times. But this is going to be a running game. Sure. This is going to be a running game. So when I say that, I mean, trust your keys. If it looks like it's a run to you, it's probably a run <laughs> to you. Get downhill fast and make the tackles because there's a lot of misdirection, uh, sleight of hand with the, with the play fakes and things of that nature that can get you in a bad position. And next thing you know, the Giants have runners on the perimeter and you have DBs making tackles as opposed to your linebackers and safeties. Yeah, so the Giants are ahead of schedule in terms of their development as a football team. They're in the playoffs already. Yeah, That's a good football team and their young quarterback continues to grow. And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday, NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.